Welcome to Hall Talk. Life is filled with unexpected moments. Thank you for joining Jared Hall, a specialist in being a generalist, as he shares biblical insights and leadership lessons while curating stories. And now your host, Jared Hall. Hello, welcome to Hall Talk. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's episode is going to feature an interview with Dale Sellers as we curate some stories from him. Dale just released his first book called Stalled, Hope and Help for Pastors Who Thought They'd Be There by Now. Dale is also the head of the 95 Network. The 95 Network is led by a team of people who deeply love the church and who have years of experience in leading small churches. It is designed to reach the 95% churches. Dale serves as the executive director. He has over 40 years of ministry experience. And I became familiar with Dale because I've been introduced to the 95 Network through Jim Powell, the author of Dirt Matters, during my sabbatical in 2015. And so with no further ado, I hope that you enjoy this time of hearing from Dale Sellers, author of the book Stalled. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. I am here with my friend Dale, who is just coming out with a brand new book. Excited for you to have a chance to meet him. So Dale, let's get started with a couple of questions, if you're okay with that. Uh, What's a little known fact about you? A little known fact about me is that I was an all-conference tight end in high school football. And the reason that's interesting is because the other all-conference tight end was a guy named Clarence K, who uh, I I was six foot... I was six foot and weighed 165 pounds. He was six foot four and he weighed 260. <laughs> he, he was signed by the University of Georgia, played, started for four years, and then played with the Denver Broncos for 10 years. Oh, wow. So those were the two tight ends that were all conference. <laughs> yeah, pretty much identical pass in life. Though, yeah. Huh? yeah, I tell everybody I made all conference because I caught one pass that won a game. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a little known fact. That's excellent. That's excellent. Uh, Dale, do you drink coffee? I do. You do. Yeah. How do you take your coffee? Spoonful of honey. Spoonful of honey. Local honey too. Never, ever heard that before, Dale. No cream, no sugar, just spoonful of honey. Spoonful of honey. Okay. Local honey, especially if you have allergies, it helps you out with that. It does. It makes a world of difference. I've heard Mm -hmm. that. So, Dale, uh, what do you do for a living career? Uh, How would you describe your, your role? I am the executive director of 95 Network and um, provide a lot of content and coaching and um, different things that we do with that. But that's my job. And if you weren't doing this, what would be another dream job that would just blow your socks off? What I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, I, this, is, this is my dream job. Helping, helping leaders is, is, is what I, I love to do. And in and, and our space, we help the small church pastors. So I love it. That's great. Uh, where did you grow up at? I grew up in the upstate of South Carolina. still live here. Um, the people that listening probably will have heard of, may have heard of Greenville. So I, I, I grew up next to Greenville, South Carolina. And what was it like growing up in Greenville? It's incredible, man. You know, is uh, I know everybody around the country thinks we're just a bunch of country bumpkin with no teeth who walk around barefooted with uh, with overalls on, but we're not really. We're great people. It's a great place to live. The people are friendly. The cool part about Greenville is we're an hour from the mountains. We're three hours from the coast, and we're two hours from Atlanta and two hours from Charlotte. So we're just in a great location. Right, you can get anywhere fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have a uh, great little airport too, so it makes it really easy. Bouncing and out of yeah, yep. that's great. <laughs> Who, who was your favorite teacher 
and and why? In the twelfth grade, I had a, a teacher named Miss Rainey, okay. and she was my favorite teacher because she taught me how to type. Really, she taught you how to type. Th- think about it now. Think about it. What other thing do we use more in life out of high school than typing? <laughs> That's right. That stayed with you probably more than algebra, right? I, every time I sit and I'm working, writing the book, I'm thinking, thank you, for, thank you, Miss Rainey. <laughs> That's right. Because if you're pecking, hunting, pecking, you're in trouble. That's right. It's a whole different <laughs> journey. Okay. So what are what are three adjectives you'd use to describe yourself? Uh, passionate, mm. co- committed, and then visionary. That's excellent. What? Why do those three stand out to you? Because it's just the way I'm wired, man. I mean, uh, part of what helped me just discover a lot of things we'll talk about in the book was the I would meet these pastors when I traveled on. I used to travel on the road with the music group, and I would go, "Where did their passion go? Mm. You know, what happened? Well, what happened?" And, and we'll talk more about that later. Um, the the I have a very difficult time transitioning away from something. Uh, I tell everybody I'm like a pit bull that won't let go. So usually God has to give me some difficult times because I'm not real good at quitting things. Um, and then um, I love to tell you this. I probably should have saved it for the end, but I think this is huge. Uh, my goal with what we do at 95 Network is with helping small churches is to get to heaven. And, and I want Jesus to walk over and give me a fist pump and say, thanks for helping my small churches. Awesome. Uh, so, so we say our mission at 95 Network is to connect uh, small and mid-sized churches to big resources. But our vision is to bring healthy change to every church, small church in America and around the world. Amen. Now, we're not going to do it by ourselves. We're going to do it with people just like you working together. But we want to help the small and mid-sized church get healthy. That's a good word. That's good. All right. Lightning round, Dale. Uh, right. Mac, Mac or PC? Oh, Mac. Mac. Uh, Star Wars or Lord of the Rings? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> I can uh, care less. <laughs> okay. Uh, any movie trilogy? I love all. I love all the Marvel stuff. I mean, yeah. I, I cried like a baby at Endgame when when Tony died. Because <laughs> when, when when she looked at when you know when Pepper looks at Tony and says, "Tony, Tony, Tony, look at me. It's it's okay. You can rest now." I just started bawling. <laughs> yeah. You are a man after my own heart, Dale. Mm. Yeah. I, anything, any of the Marvels. I just love all those things. Yeah. Uh, we're on the same page. Uh, ESV or NASB? Um, I read the message. Okay. And so it, either one of those are fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I, st- I study out the message. That's my favorite. Yeah. Android or Apple? Apple. Still Apple. So you're Mac all the way mm-hmm. through. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi, man. It was born here in South Carolina in Greenville. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, if you're grilling, gas or charcoal? Charcoal. There's, you're not grilling if you're not using charcoal. That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, you're getting ready to go out. Are you guys going to dine in? You're going to carry out uh, pre-COVID. Dine in. Dine in. Mm-hmm. And then, um, all right. So meeting. Are you on time or just a minute late? Fifteen minutes early. There we go. If you're not early, you're late. I'm, no, I'm never late. Yeah, there we if go. I'm if I'm late, it's because I had a flat tire. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I, I I was sitting here waiting on you for this for our podcast ten minutes before you came on. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to be late for anything. That's good. That's good. All right. Well, thank you for that introduction, Dale. That's awesome. It's going to be good to get to know you on this, Dale. I want you to um, share with us um, a point in time at which you were seeking advice. Uh, during your time in college that that was pivotal for you 
Well, to set this up, uh, we, my wife, Gina, and I traveled with a Christian music group out of our college. So we would go to school on the week and travel on the weekends. And so we had done around 300 concerts or so in, in, the, in that time we were there. And uh, there it, it was a time for transition. We, after graduating the school, we actually stayed behind a year, attended another school, but traveled with this group on the weekends. And so, uh, but when that tenure came up, what well, was over, uh, we weren't, weren't sure what to do next. And so I was thinking we needed to go on to another four-year school somewhere. And so we set up an appointment with our pastor and uh, we go sit down and talk to our pastor. And, and I'm like, you know, he says, so, you know, how can I help you, Dale? And so, well, um, we're trying to figure out what to do next with our lives. And again, we're, we're in our early 20s. Okay. And so uh, he says, well, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, well, we're trying to figure out, you know, should we go to this school or that school? He goes, yeah, but what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to minister. He says, well, that's too, that's too vague. What do you mean you want to minister? Who do you want to minister to? <laughs> and I said, well, I want to minister to old people and young people. I just, I, I mean, nobody had asked me this. So I'm stunned, you know? And, and so he said, no, he said, Dale, that's too vague. You, you need to, you need to kind of hone it in a little bit. Uh, you know, so what do you want to do? At this point, I knew in my heart what I wanted to do, but Gene and I hadn't even discussed it because wow. I didn't think it was a possibility. And so he, he kept pushing me. So he finally looked at me and he asked me this question. And at this point, I'm kind of really stressed out. He goes, Dale, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If money were no object, if there were no barriers, if nothing would stop you, if you knew that you went to do something, you would be successful at it. What would you do? And that's when I said, I, I want to keep doing what we've been doing. I, I, we love doing the road. We love doing the music group thing. Uh, that's what I want to do. And he goes, that's incredible. He said, I would love, uh, I've always had a vision for a group working out of our church. Why don't you and Gina come on staff and start it? And I'm, I'm, I'm stunned. I'm looking at him the way you're looking at me. You know, it's like, uh, okay. And so he hired us to come on staff to create a ministry. And, and, and we were able to do another 800 concerts in the next six years. So the first 10 years we were married, we did 1,100 concerts in 35 states all over the country working with churches. Uh, and the main reason we were able to do that is because I had a pastor look at me and say, Dale, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? That's incredible. How empowering was that moment? It was unbelievably empowering because as I had been attending that church for a, a period of time for a year or two now, it was so much, it was so different from the church I grew up in. The church I grew up in was very strong on, on helping you get saved and which is great. That's awesome. But I never heard any, any messages about dreaming God's dream for your life or about vision, about, you know, uh, going out there and, and, and doing something, um, you know, out there to change the world. I, I never heard anything like that. I just heard every week how bad I was. So going to this church, this pastor was always talking about dreaming dreams and having visions and, 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 and fulfilling what, you know, he who talked about fulfilling God's destiny for your life. And so this was all new thinking to me. And so my natural thought was when the season was over traveling with the college group, the next step would be, okay, we, we need to go to college somewhere because that's what everybody else does. Right. That's the path. and so that's why he asked me that question. What do you want to do? And it's because it's like, and his thinking was, why would you go to college if you don't know why you're going? And, and I had this, we loved what we were doing with the music group thing. And so uh, I will ever, forever be indebted to Pastor Brad because he pushed me to blurt out what was in my heart. And, and that, that advice uh, has allowed me to be here with you today. That's amazing. How did your wife respond? Same way. She loved it too. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I, obviously, I'm the loud, passionate, go-getter kind of guy, and Gina's the quiet, shy one. So I've always had a mental picture of me and Gina uh, with me running wide open and me holding her by the hand, and she's flying through the air, and she's yelling at me, where are we going? And I go, I don't know. And she goes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> She's always been such a great uh, strength and support, and uh, she's she's by far her and Jesus are the foundations of my life, uh, and, and so she's gone along with a, with a lot of craziness. Yeah, <laughs> we've lived we've lived a different kind of life. We just celebrated thirty eight years last Congratulations. week. Congratulations! We've been married thirty eight years. We got married at twenty and nineteen when we were in college, uh, but and we've we've experienced and done a lot of stuff. Mm. <laughs> what was the music group like? Uh, well, see, you're so young, you don't even understand this era, <laughs> but in the eighties, especially the nineties, Christian music was huge. So all these groups would travel and sing in churches and do things like that. There was a, was a, a mentor of mine. His name is Roger Breland, who started a group called truth and, and they did 10,000 plus concerts in, in 30 years. And so uh, he really, he really helped affect my life a lot. I'll, I'll talk about him more later, but uh, we did a group. We had a group similar to that. We had a vocal line and we would come and sing in churches and, and any kind of setting you can imagine, we sang in, man. We did an Easter sunrise service on the parade deck in Paris Island one year at Easter. We did, That's a memory right there. That's amazing. Dude, we, we, the sun came up in the parade deck. We didn't even hear them walk in, and all the Marines are sitting there watching us sing. Wow. <laughs> that, was, that was really cool. We were connected yeah. to the chaplain there. So uh, that was an incredible time. And honestly, one of the things that happened in that season of my life, I don't talk about this much, was um, – when we stopped traveling, I really felt like a failure in my thirties mm. because I did not understand then the, about how seasons change. Mm. Uh, and so I just, we just thought we would be doing that the rest of our lives. So we went through some pretty rough time. Uh, we had our children and then came off the road all kind of simultaneously. And it was just a real stressful season. Yeah. Now uh, repeat Pastor Brad's question again, because I feel like that's a question every, every leader, every young leader needs to be asked. If there were no barriers, if finances were no cost, if, if you knew without any exception that you could accomplish it, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? There we go. That's and I ask that question because that's what's in the abundance of your heart. Yep. Instead of, so instead of approaching what you want to do with all, all the reasons why you can't, let's just verbalize what you would do if you could. Yeah. Knock down all the barriers, you know, all the things that you put up before you even get there. And, and let me let me speak to the negative person right now who's going, oh, that's nuts. We'll have problems. Of course you have problems. Of <laughs> course you're going to have financial issues. Of course there are going to be barriers. But but knowing what God's called you to do is what helps you get over those things. Yep. I went through a season of my life where I thought I was not a good Christian because I was having problems. Mm. I thought I thought that, you know, if I would, when I reached spiritual maturity that I'd live life without any problems. But I forgot James 1, 2 says, count it joy when you face problems. <laughs> that's how you grow. Uh, and so, but if you don't know if you, and, and this is, and again, this is what's to me is, is stunting the growth of the church in America. Most churches have no idea why they meet. They have no idea what their mission is. They have no idea what their vision is. They gather because it's Sunday morning. And with the, with, even with the shutdown effects of COVID, so many churches are kicking and screaming, trying to get back to doing what they've always done because they have no idea what they're doing. That's a good word. Thank you, I'll Dale. Leave it, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Dale, next question I have for you, uh, being somebody who has the tenacity that you have, uh, how do you know when it's time to quit? And so I mentioned uh, Roger Breland, who directed Truth. He was a mentor of mine, and, and he took me under his wing, uh, and, and I, I, I'm forever indebted to him for his help. And again, you got to understand, dude, this is back in the 1980s. We don't have cell phones yet, okay? Right. 
Right. It would have been so cool to be on the road with a cell phone. And so our group was, we, we had already launched, you know, we'd followed through with what would you do if you couldn't fail. And now we're out there on the road and we're the second, about the second year into it. And we are struggling to get bookings. We are struggling to pay our bills. It is just difficult. Mm. And I, I, I got so discouraged. I, I was the guy that booked our group. I got so discouraged that I called a minister of music at a church in Arkansas. I didn't know him. Someone given to me as a lead. And I said, hi, this is Dale. I'm with a group called Mainstream. You probably don't want to book us, do you? And I hung up. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how discouraged I was. I'm, on, I'm trying to call and get bookings. And I call some dude I've never met before. <laughs> I, I, I hope one day to meet this guy because he's got to be like, what an idiot, you know? Uh, so, so anyway, uh, we were just hurting so bad. And so uh, I thought he had just got to a point where I didn't know what to do. So I called Mr. I had Mr. Breland's home phone number and I called him and I knew I wouldn't get him because he was on the road. And, and, and we had something back then called an answer machine. And so I left him a message and I said, hi, I said, this is Dale. Uh, we're dying out here. We can't pay our bills. We can't get any bookings. Uh, call if you care. Wow. <laughs> And then oddly enough, he happened to be home that night. Oh, wow. He calls me back two hours later and he goes, what is your problem? <laughs> and I said, man, I said, I, I'm, I'm all whiny. How, how do you know when it's time to quit? I mean, we're, we can't pay our bills and we can't get bookings and it's just so hard. And he said, well, he said, Dale, did God tell you to start? Hmm. I said, yes, sir. He said, did God tell you to quit? I said, no, sir. He said, do you want to honor and please God with your life? I said, yes, sir. So he says, well, it sounds to me like if you quit and you want to honor and please God with your life, that you'll have to start over, but you'll be further behind. Mm. He said, so you need to stay with the stuff until the Lord tells you to do something different or tells you to quit. Uh, And dude, that advice was 30 years ago. Wow. It still drives me today. Yeah. Now, this, and now, as I said, I, I'm not real good at quitting anyway, but that, that it was such great advice. And we hung in there and then, uh, I sat down, uh, we were in Cleveland, Ohio and I was in a hotel. We had a layover for three days and I booked 60 concerts in three days. Not, not, yeah. Not long after he said that. Yeah. Cause part of what I would do, see, I did, I did everything. I did the booking. I managed the group. I ran sound. I did the talking at the front. Uh, and so what I would do is we would get all booked up and then we would start traveling. Well, I didn't feel like calling people when we're traveling. <laughs> so sure. then we'd run out of bookings. <laughs> So then I'd stop and book us up. And so it, that perpetual thing was wearing me out. And honestly, by the time we quit traveling, the, the best way I can describe it to you, it was like being on a merry-go-round I couldn't get off of mm. because there was just so much pressure and stuff there. And again, some of it had to do with, I didn't, I didn't lead well. I didn't hand off things like I needed to. Uh, but that advice that Mr. Brilliant gave me absolutely changed my life, man. Now, did right. God tell you to start? Did God tell you to quit? Well, do you want to please and honor God with your life? Yes, sir. That's what I'll do. I'll stick with it. That's good. When when it came time, when you did quit, how 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 did that take place? It was it was a disaster, really, because okay. we had remember the pastor I told you that, that inspired us to start. He yeah. he he left. He went to another church, okay. and a new guy came in. And so the pastor, the previous pastor, loved what we did, but the new guy who came in hated what we did. Mm. And so, but I already knew, so we'd already had our second child, our, our first child, our, our oldest daughter, Tiffany, uh, she works with the unstuck group, but Tiffany was raised on the road her first two years. She went 90,000 miles her first year. My wife, Gina sang up to her due date. Then the doctor said, you can't travel past your due date. So Tiffany, uh, Gina was two weeks late. And then two weeks later, we had a two week old on the road. 
And then we had our second child two years later. And so we had Tiffany and Hannah on the road for a while together. But it was it was and it was what I referred to earlier. The season started changing. Yeah. And I was too young to understand that. So um, I needed, I, we needed to step away from it before we did. But so, because I couldn't, here's the way God teaches us two ways. <laughs> he'll teach us through his word, which is by far the best, or he'll teach us through experience. Yes. Sadly, I've chosen the experience. Route way too many times. <laughs> <laughs> and so because, because I chose the experience route, it, it, we, we had to, we had to go through some hard times to get us off the road when I could have just chosen earlier to step away. But, but again, you know, you don't know what you don't know. That's right. That's right. And it's the so, Lord, the Lord used it. The Lord has been using those experiences. Oh yeah. That's good. Dale, a moment ago, you mentioned your oldest daughter works for the unstuck group, mm-hmm. which is led by Tony Morgan. And you've had some interaction with him. What, what was the question that he asked you that changed the course of your life? Well, I want to set this up by telling you that in the year 2000, when I was pastoring our small church, I, I pastored a small church from 12, for 12 years. It grew from 30 to 300 back to 150 because mm. it had a split. But while I was pastoring, I also was working at a Christian radio station doing special events and promotions. And part of that's because I had that experience of being on the road. Uh, and so I did a couple of events with John Maxwell oh, and, sure. and, and pr- I promoted some events and they were very, very positive. And so it, it led to John Maxwell offering me a job and attempting to hire me in the year 2000. So in May of 2000, uh, they brought me and Gina down to Atlanta, showed me my office, you know, did the whole wine dine thing, you know, and then we were able on Monday to hop on a plane and fly from Atlanta to Spartanburg, South Carolina, to an event that I had promoted up there, left there, flew to Nashville, and then flew back from Nashville. And when we flew back from Nashville, no one was on the plane, but John Maxwell, my wife, Gina, and me, and the pilot, of course. And it was an incredible experience. And, and so, and John was, they were trying to hire me to do a thing called simulcast. This is pre all the technology we have now. Sure. And, and what it would have meant would I would have been going around and, and John was going to be in one place, but I would have been setting up all these other ev- venues around. And so what was going to happen is I would move my family to Atlanta. Then I'd be gone all the time. And I just told John, I said, I can't do that. I have a daughter in the eighth grade, a daughter in the sixth grade, a daughter in the third grade. I can't move my wife and kids to Atlanta, be gone all the time. Now, there was also another thing happening there, too. I also knew that I wasn't ready. And I knew if I went to work for a guy like John Maxwell, something in my leadership would be exposed. And so so I turned him down. And then four weeks later, our church split. And I was like, I'm going to call John back. John, is that still available? (laughs) Get me out of this, you know. And so so everything just kind of crashed. And and so at that point in my life, I felt like that ship had sailed. Hmm. there's no, you know, the opportunity to serve in that capacity will, will, won't be there anymore. Plus you've been through this horrible church split, your tainted goods. So, you know, I mean, the Lord, the Lord loves you, but he ain't going to use you very much. And so that was in the two, in year 2000. Well, uh, God spoke to me in the, in, in the shower in February of 2014 and said, it's time for you to launch your leadership ministry. And I'm like, are you kidding now, I don't know anybody. I'm out of the groove. I'm, I've been content being an executive pastor at other churches. Are you serious? Yeah. And so I started, so I didn't know what to do. I came up with a name. I called it Dale Sellers Leadership. How about that? Worked hard on that one. I got, <laughs> I got a computer. I went and, and, and somebody gave me a lap. I didn't have a computer. And then I went and got a website and my website had so much stuff on it. It was like, if I did everything that was on my website, I would be so worn out. <laughs> but I, I was, I didn't know what to do, you know? 
And yeah. so I, I had, I called uh, and I knew Tony, I'd met Tony, but Tiffany, my daughter works there. And so I, I called Tony and, and I had to make a phone appointment. I'm like, what's a phone appointment? I, I, I didn't know people did that. And it was like a month away. And so, so in April of 2014, uh, I called Tony and we're on, we're on this call and, and I'm so excited. Cause I mean, I got Tony, he's way up there, you know, in, in, in my eyes of great leaders. And I was so excited about talking to him. So we're talking and he says, Dale, what do you want to do? And I told him, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to do this leadership stuff. And, 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 you know, I've worked with this church and that church and I've been all these years on the road and I'm telling all this stuff jacked up like I am right now. And Tony goes, Dale, Dale, I just got to tell you, I can't relate to you at all. Wow. I'm not. Okay. He goes, all I've ever done is work with large churches and large organizations. I've never worked with small ministries. And then I said something to Tony. I said, Tony, uh, well, all I've ever done is work with small churches and, and been in small settings. But you need to understand that every small church leader in America thinks they're going to have a larger ministry one day. I'm not saying that every small church pastor thinks they're going to have a mega church or that they're going to pastor even hundreds or thousands. But nobody thinks they're going to lead 30 people their whole life. Right. And I said, I'm going to tell you something today that I've never told anyone. I said, I feel like a failure. And I feel like the Lord is disappointed with me because I thought I'd be there by now. And I talked that through with Tony a little bit. And he said, Dale, that's, that's fascinating. He said, what I want, if you'll write that up as an article, I'll publish it on Tony Morgan live. And let's just see what, if it, if it, if it hits with anybody. So in May of 2014, I wrote an article called, I thought I'd be there by now confessions of a small church pastor. And I heard from pastors all over America going, that's exactly how I feel. And so that started the seed of what is today, this book that I'm holding in my hand, which is called stalled hope and help for pastors who thought they'd be there by now. Mm. And so, you know, that was five years ago that we had that conversation, but it's where it all started, you know? And so uh, that question that Tony, um, or the, the, you know, we're there talking and, and, and I had the opportunity to, you know, just to tell him, man, I, thought I'd be there by now. That, that really began to put me in the trajectory of where my life is now. When you think about that sense of failure and, and I mean, you hit the spot that every pastor feels that's in a smaller church. Mm -hmm. Where does that, where does that come from? What's that birthed out of? Do you think? Unrealistic expectations. Yeah. And, 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 you know, for me, if, if we want to get deep for a minute, for me, I grew up building houses with my father. My dad's mm -hmm. a, he's a house builder. And so I'm, I, by the time I'm 16 years old, I could build a house by myself. Yeah. If we, if we came into a home to trim it out, I did all the, all the oak work, all the stair work, all that stuff. And I got my builder's license when I was 18. Uh, and so working with my dad was a wonderful experience because we could literally go work all day and never speak because <laughs> I knew, I knew what he yeah. wanted to do be done next. We, we just yeah. flowed well. But the problem is, as you can tell, I'm highly verbal. And, and so my dad would never give me verbal affirmation. Mm. So if you and your wife hired us to do work for you, he would sit out in the yard and brag all day long about me to you, but he never bragged on me about me to me. He never once said that looks great or you did a good job. Never. And I know he came from that era. I'm not, I'm not being critical of him at all. It's just, that, but I needed verbal affirmation. So what happened was I worked harder to try mm. to get him to, to, to do something so great that he would notice it. That's why I played high school football. 
when, when I, I played football from the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, then I quit football and played basketball seventh, eighth, and ninth grades. But in the ninth grade, I went to the high school football games and I would see all the dads up there watching their sons play. And, and, and I thought, my dad doesn't, I'm not out there. So I went back out, tried out and became a starter in, in JV football and then played and started. I was captain of the football team when I was a senior, all conference. I mean, played every play except on the kickoff team. And I had my uncle, my dad's brother, my, his, my uncle would come up to me and hand me, shake my hand after the game on the field, shake my hand and give me a $20 bill and tell me what, uh, how proud he was of me. My dad never did. Wow. So what happened to me was I, I shifted the focus of that to my walk with God. Yeah. I shifted that focus of that to where I was at a place in my life where people would say, you know, like Pastor Brad asked me when we were on the road, he said, Dale, you know, what is it going to take for you to feel like a success? Because we're doing 300 concerts a year. Right. And I go, I go, I don't know. Mm. And it'd be the thing, like if we did a concert and a thousand people got saved, I would be like, but why didn't 1100 get saved? Right. And I want you to understand, I'm, it's not because of arrogance or pride or greed. None of that. It was like, I, I can't satisfy this thing in me to do enough. Hmm. And so that I moved that to my relationship with the Lord. And so it got me to this place in my life where I, I couldn't define. If you asked me, if you asked me back then, if you asked me six years ago, where's there? I don't know. So you can't reach a place that you don't know where you're going. I just always felt like it dangled out in front of me. And the other thing that's been part of my life, and a lot of folks will probably resonate with this, every time that I've gotten to a place in my life where things were just about to break wide open in a really positive sense, I mean, this has happened 20 times mm-hmm. in my life. Get right at the moment when it, the good thing's about to happen, the rug would always get pulled out of front of me. Oh. So I, I began to think that the Lord was doing that because he was mad at me because I hadn't produced enough. So I was, I was, a, I was a stinking mess. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good mess. though. I think it's just a big old mess, man. Yeah. I think, but I think what you're saying is the experience of yes. thousands of pastors. And I think uh, for the rate of people that are dropping out of the ministry, if they're honest, it's because they're shooting for something that they don't even have defined. Think about, you know, you go to school, you go to seminary, you go to, they, they, they teach you the intellectual things. They teach you the Greek or the Hebrew. They teach you hermeneutics and homiletics and hermeneutics, all that, all the hummus and humus, all that stuff, but they don't teach you how to lead. Yep. And so you walk into a situation and you don't know how to do the basic things. And in the small church setting, we have one of two problems that's happening all the time. Either one, the pastor does not equip and raise up a team and let and, and, and let people do things because the pastor needs the affirmation of being the leader to fill their emotional tank because they feel like a failure. Yep. And so they don't they don't they don't hand off things. They don't raise up. They don't build a team. And all that one person can lead is about 80 people. Mm. That's why that's the size of most churches Or the other thing that happens is a lot of our churches in America, because their government setup is all wrong and we won't even get on that but it's not biblical. And, and so because they're biblical, they're not biblical in their government. They think we hired you to do all the work. Yep. And that's not, that's not good either. So, so what we have is we have this dysfunction happening out there where either the pastor needs the people to feel good about himself or the people have a hireling to do, to carry out their wishes. And the problem is neither of those are biblical. And so God can't bless there. That's a good word, Dale. I think, what you're saying right now is probably hitting some people right between the eyes. I hope so. Cause it hit me between the eyes. 
and, and, and the reason I say this because you, you're not okay. So, so many of these things that we're touching on are in the book. Yeah. But like I have a, I have a, I have a, a little section called healing on the fly. Mm. I have, I have a pastor friend who, who was about to launch a church. And I knew that this pastor was injured and hurt from the last church that he was at. So I took him to, to we had a, dinner, a meal together. And I said, listen, I want to ask you this question. Are you starting a new church because you have a burning vision from God to reach the people in that community? Or are you starting a church because you need a place to preach and the people that, that are leaving the other church need a place to go? Oh, oh no, I'm, I'm, I've got a vision. I said, well, what is it? And obviously he didn't tell me. I said, listen, I love you enough to tell you the truth. You're injured. You're not healthy. Your wife's not healthy. Your kids are not healthy. And if you go start a new work, you're going to create an unhealthy church. Yep. And an unhealthy leader creates an unhealthy church. And I said, you need to take some time off and get healed and get whole again. And he goes, I'll never forget this. He goes, well, I've learned uh, in my experience that what you do is if you're injured, you just keep on going and you get healed in the process. I said, so if I've got cancer, I should just do what I could to get more cancer. Oh. Or if I, if I have a broke leg, should I go out and play basketball on the broke leg and somehow it's going to heal itself? I said, that's flawed. You've got to get, you're not going to get healed by continuing to do what you've always done. You're just going to get worse off. So here's what we do. We're going to dive into it now. When you're an injured, unhealthy pastor that have issues in your life that you don't deal with, here's what you do. You either talk about things you don't live, which as a pastor, you know, there's no anointing on that whatsoever. You, right. You're not going to, God, yes, God will always bless his word, but your ministry will not be blessed if you're going to teach things that you don't live. Yep. We all know that to be true. Or worse, you don't talk about the things that you have problems with. Like an example would be if you have a bad marriage, you never teach on marriage. Right. Then how in the world are you going to connect with the, with the community around you? Because their marriages are in trouble. That's right. So the enemy has tied you up in knots to keep you from being effective because you're trying to heal on the fly and it doesn't happen. You've got to take the time to get healthy. Amen, brother. Okay, Dale, I'm not sure if this is a high hanging fruit question or low hanging <laughs> fruit question, but I'm going to put it out there. Okay. What was the problem that Jesus came to solve? I'm so glad you asked that. <laughs> so I, uh, so as I'm doing ministry and I'm all bound up, you know, I've, I'm here I am and I've, uh, we've finished the road. I've, I've had a church that's gone through a split. I actually took five years off and went back into construction. Did you really? Because I, yeah, because I need, I had to get healthy. Yeah. Um, and, and what I began to realize was, was, you know, uh, when you're, before you come to Jesus and let's just say you come to Jesus when you're 25. You you live life, you do some things, and you accumulate baggage. And baggage could be, you know, things you've done or things that happened to you or just the way you grew up. There's a mistake that we think that when you get saved, that that stuff drops off of you. Mm. And so what I what I always say is if, if I was a 25-year-old with a lot of baggage and I get saved, I become a 25-year-old saved person with baggage. And unless there's an intentional process that I embrace to get to experience freedom, I just bring all that stuff into my saved life. Well, I did that. And, and so yeah. we were, we had embraced the church I was working at had embraced the freedom ministry training, training that comes out of gateway church in Dallas. And a guy named Bob Hamp was the guy leading it at the time. And, and I, and I helped implement freedom training at our church for everybody, but myself, because ah. <laughs> I literally, I didn't say this out loud, but I did think this, I don't need freedom. 
And so, but Bob, but our pastor asked us to watch the videos of the freedom training, just so we'd be familiar with them. Uh, of course, I think now he probably asked them because he knew we needed them. But anyway, <laughs> Bob does a teaching there. Bob Hamp is his name. Bob does a teaching called The Problem Jesus Came to Solve. And so I watched, it's a little 30-minute 30, 30 video. I promise you, anybody who's living, it's on Vimeo. Just put in that name and you can find it. it, will, it I've watched it 25 times. Every time I watch it, it, it literally, I, there's another level of revelation for me. Mm. So Bob, he, he says, you know, if you ask people why Jesus came, they always say he came to pay the penalty for our sins and down the cross. And, and, and that's absolutely true, obviously. But if you listen to Jesus define why he came. So if you look in the gospels, he constantly says, I've come to give you life. I'm the resurrection, the life, the way, the truth, the life. I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And the reason that Jesus says that of himself is because that's what we lost in the garden of Eden. Hmm. In the Garden of Eden, there's two trees that are set up, and I think Genesis 3, 8, I think is where it is, or 2, 8. But it says that the, 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 in the garden, the tree of life was there, and, then, and, and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there's two trees mentioned. We never talk about the tree of life. And so that we focus on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge. And he says basically what happens is in America today, specifically, we're kind of like a blender that plugs itself into itself trying to, uh, tr- try to blend. It won't work because he says what, what we've done is we continue to hang around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So if I ask you today, how are you doing spiritually? Your first thought is, okay, well, I tithe Sunday. I read my Bible every day. Uh, and I went and prayed with an old couple in the town. Or you go, I'm not doing so hot. I cussed, I cussed it, you know, cause I hit my hammer. I hit my thumb with a hammer and I kicked the cat and, uh, and you know, and I cheated on my taxes. Our natural flow is to think about our performance. Yep. So Bob says in that, in that teaching, he says, in America, what we do is we jump off the limb of evil onto the limb of good, and we call it salvation. Mm. But we're still hanging out in performance. And, and you see, I grew up thinking, boy, God was really mad at Adam and Eve. That's why he kicked him out of the garden and put an angel there with the flaming sword. He didn't do that because he was mad. He did it because he loved them. Because if they had gone and eaten fruit from the tree of life in the fallen state they were in, they could have not been redeemed. That's right. And so, so what I had fallen to doing was just everything was about performance. Now I could preach a message about, I know you're saved by grace through faith, free gift, free gift, free gift. But then I lived the people that I was around. we lived, we proved how saved we were by our works. Right. And, and that's what kind of got me so bound up. And so when I watched this video and Bob's talking about the, the problem that Jesus came to solve, Jesus, Ooh, this is so good. I love talking about this. So Jesus didn't come to make bad people act or behave good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. Amen. Jesus came to bring life to dead people. When God took and breathed the breath of life into a dirt ball and called it Adam, Adam didn't stand up and go, oh, I'm alive. What are the rules? No, he just said, I'm alive. And if there's anything missing in our churches, it's life. Mm. We got rules. We got, we got ways to gauge what we do. We have a checklist of things to do to be successful, but, but we're not attracting people who don't know God. And the reason is because they can have their own rules if they don't know God, but they can't have life if they don't know God. And our job, is, the problem Jesus came to solve is to restore what we lost in the Garden of Eden, and that's to give us life, which is when I begin to understand, Bob makes this statement in the video. He says, you know, 
he says, a lot of people are out there trying to serve God, serve God, serve God. He says, there's nothing you can give God. There's mm-hmm. nothing you can do for God. God has it all. God has never intended for us to serve him. God does not want us to do things for him. He wants us to do things from him. That perspective changed my life. When I began to realize I'm out here trying to do all this stuff for God, because when I was a teenager in high school and I'd go to these youth rallies and they would say, when you get to heaven, there's going to be a big video screen and it's going to show all the people in hell that you didn't reach. I used to have pastors say that there are certain people that God's called you to reach. And if you don't reach them, their blood is on your hands. Now I'm a firstborn and I'm wired the way I am. And I took that stuff literally. So dude, if I went to high school or to the mall or to a Clemson Tiger football game, I felt it was my job that I was supposed to get all them people saved and that I was going to have to, their blood was going to be on my hands. That's a tough way to live. That'll give you heart surgery at 53. So, so here I am, I'm living this big messed up life because I'm trying to serve God and do all this stuff for God. Uh, but that's not, it was never God's intention. He wants me to do things from him. So here's the thing, God, you run the heavens. I'll hang out here on the earth and then you just do through me what you want to do. So that's why my prayer today is no longer, Jesus, don't, please don't come back till I fulfill my purpose. My prayer today is Lord, just live through me however you want to. That's right. And it's changed my life, dude. I feel like I'm 20 years old on the inside and I'm 58. And have had heart surgery. That's the a pressure. good sign that you're feeling that young. The pressure's gone, man. Yeah. That's open pre- that's open-handed living. The pressure's gone, dude. I, I am not I am not performing in any level of my life to try to make God happy. Mm. I whew, I am not doing anything to try to make Jesus love me anymore. He can't love me anymore than die for me. Mm. And so it's like, you know what? I do him a disservice when I think I need to add things to what he did on the cross. That's right. I'm glad you're taping all this because this I'm having fun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, if if we go back and from when you first heard this, Mm kind of help people, you know, because I imagine it wasn't instantaneous, right? Like you, you hear this, you see this, but the application of this had to take time, I imagine. I first had to make sure there wasn't heresy, I mean, <laughs> okay. which, which yeah, I think yeah. people, people who are listening right now, well, the, the, you, when you hear, it's so funny, dude, when you hear good news, you automatically think it's bad. Mm. I remember I've got my family together at Thanksgiving that year that I, that I, that I heard this video and we watched this video and I'll never forget as long as I live. And if I get emotional on you, I'm sorry, but my middle daughter looked at me and she said, daddy, why has no one ever told us this? And I said, honey, it's because we don't know it. The leaders don't know it. They don't, they're out there working and striving and, and wearing themselves out trying to serve God when God could do in one day through their life, what they can't do in a lifetime. It changed my life. And, and, and I, and I don't know how to say this where it doesn't sound wrong. I feel like I'm less spiritual than I've ever been and more godly. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense at all. I'm just not trying to perform anymore. Well, no, I'm I hear not what trying, I, what, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I hear you saying like I'm I'm not a Pharisee. I'm free. That's what like, I'm saying. I'm not you're not trying to be religious on the outside, not trying to be a whitewashed tomb. Like you've just allowed what the Lord did on the inside to be on the outside now. I'm so glad you said that because see, I went through a period of time. And again, all this kind of happened at, at a collision point, but I got to a point where I didn't even I just didn't enjoy reading the Bible anymore. 
Right. And so what I did was I, I, I like to read out the message. That's my, that's, I just, it's in our modern vernacular. When I was a kid, I liked to le- read the, the, you know, the, the heretical living Bible, <laughs> you know, and I, I still, yeah. I, look, don't worry. I still preach out of my new King James, but, <laughs> but, but, but for my study, I, I yeah. like to read out the message because G- Eugene Peterson just wrote it in our language. And so what I did was I took a year of my life and I just read the gospels and the message over mm. and over and over again, when I, I'd go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when I finished John, I'd go back to Matthew. And I just read them for a whole year. And I fell in love with Jesus all over again. And I discovered there's only one group of people Jesus can't get along with, and that's religious folks. Mm. In America, America's churches are filled with Pharisees. That's why when you said that, I'm going, boy, that's, that's dead on. We're, we're, our churches are full of Pharisees and self-righteous judging people. And, and the problem is the world, we're not attractive to the world. We're, I just wish, wish I had said this earlier this year. I just wish our churches go back to preaching the gospel, leading people to Jesus and quit trying to straighten them up, you know, trying to fix their, you know, their, all the messes that life they're in. L- Listen, if Jesus, oh my goodness, if Jesus can take me off the road to hell and put me on the road to heaven, if Jesus can take someone who is spiritually dead and make them alive, if Jesus can save my soul and I believe that I'm going to spend eternity with him, he can fix the rest of the stuff in my life. And our churches are so busy trying to fix people, we forgot to give them the gospel. Amen. Okay, Dale, uh, last question. Mm -hmm. What's the tweet that changed your life? Okay, so you come with this whole series of things we've talked about, and I've gone to understand the problem Jesus came to solve, and I'm beginning to recognize I'm a mess, that I'm I'm so works-oriented, I feel like a failure. Uh, and again, I, it's very important. You remember that, you know, the pressure that I felt that I was letting God down because I wasn't saving everybody. And I had a friend one day, uh, my friend Shane Duffy, he's a, at New Spring Church in Anderson, South Carolina, put on Twitter one day, just a simple tweet. You can't let God down because you're not holding him up. Mm. I, I read that at a four-way stop and tried to drive on, but I had to pull over. Because it hit me, the, the, the problem Jesus came to solve teaching and Shane's tweet all happened within a very close period of time in my life. And it was like that was the one-two gut punch that I needed. And dude, when, when, when I read that tweet and I recognized I, I'm 52 years old and I have been trying to hold God up for most of my life, I pulled over and I just, I just bawled. I, I, I could not take it anymore. It was like in that moment, God started the whole set me free process. And I tell everybody, the Lord healed my emotional, spiritual uh, heart. And then we had to have the heart surgery to heal my physical heart because of the damage that happened to me. But uh, and so I had like a double whammy. But that tweet, uh, you know, I, I realized that God wasn't keeping score, mm. that God wasn't mad at me, that that I wasn't going to have to be a street sweeper in heaven. And I know the streets are gold, but it's still. That, that I'm not going to have, you know, that everybody else going to have this nice mansion. And Dale's going to be over there in a the little doghouse way over in the corner. Uh, when I begin to realize, man, Jesus, this is so wild. But, and it's funny how this has come up lately. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Hmm. I learned that when I was three. I got saved when I was seven. And then I forgot it. Hmm. And now he's brought me back around. And so. Uh, We've just overcomplicated everything. And so now I'm experiencing the most joy and peace and fruit. And, and, and um, I didn't give you this question because this one's too hard to explain. 
I used to used to read where Paul said to for me to live as Christ and die as gain. And I, I used to read that. And if I was honest, I'd go, I don't like that verse very much. Hmm. Because I couldn't say that I believed that with Paul. Right. But you know what? Uh, I'm there now. And what I mean by that is I don't want to die. The, 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 uh, someone asked me recently on another podcast, you know, what's your, your biggest fear? And it's not a fear, but I, I just don't want to die right now. I've got, I've got a great ministry. I've got a great marriage. I've got great kids. I've got a grandchild and another grandchild on the way. And I'm just loving life. I've got great friends I go hunting, fishing with, and golf. And I just love life. And so I don't want to die. But you know what, dude? If, if today's my life, if I finish this up and drop dead when you and I get done, it's been a good run. Mm. And so I finally feel like I've gotten to a place where I understand somewhat of what Paul meant when he said that for me to live is Christ. You know, I, we're in this messed up American culture, this messed up world. And everybody's like freaking out and thinking, you know, their, their party's going to save us. And obviously they're not, you know, we've got COVID happening and earthquakes happening and hurricanes happening. And it's crazy. You know what? When, when there's nowhere else to look, look to Jesus. That's right. I, I think this is the finest hour the church has ever had. I think that when a tidal wave comes in, you know, the water goes out before it comes in. I think that's all that's happening right now is the water's getting sucked out of the bay because the greatest tidal wave, the greatest move of God since the cross in my heart, I believe is coming. Hmm. And he's it, listen, if he's going to, if he's going to clean up the world, he's going to clean up the church. And if he's going to clean up the church, he's going to have to start with his leaders. That's right. Unhealthy pastors create unhealthy churches. So I wrote a book about being solved for those who need hope and help because they thought they'd be there by now. Dale, that's, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for your ministry. I'm grateful for the work that the Lord's done in your life. Uh, I'm thankful that you're living out of obedience for him and that uh, leaders are being ministered to as a result of the 95 network. And I'm praying that for leaders that their experience is that they get sharpened, um, that they come out healthy, that they come out changed. And I'm asking um, just real quick, give us um, just a couple ways that people can connect with you, plug mm-hmm. in with what you're doing, because I think people are going to want to hear more from you. A couple of ways. First of all, if you want to get a copy of the book, uh, you can just simply get it through Amazon. <laughs> you know, that's, that's and, and that's, books. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But you are, or you can get it at our website. Our website is 95 Network. The number's 95, 95network.org. And uh, we have a membership that's only $95 a year. And inside our membership, we've got thousands of dollars worth of free stuff for our pastors to help them. Uh, our passion is the small and mid-sized church pastor. We want to do anything we can to help them. So you can get a hold of us that way. Uh, you can order the book that way. I wanted to tell you that in the way I laid the book out is, you know, uh, the first section of it is called, uh, why can't I get there? Mm. The middle, middle section is what will I find there? And then the final section is uh, the joy of living there. Uh, when I was writing the book, I actually hit writer's block, which is really mm. unusual for a guy who wrote his first book because I'm like, I, I don't, I, I thought the focus of this book was just to deal with pastors, health leaders, health, and it's like, okay, but, but God began to deal with me. No, there's another level that I want you to go into with this. And, and I'm like, well, what is that? And it's, it's to reach the next generation. My objective is not for you to get healthy and whole so you can have a nice church till you retire. My, my objective is for you to get healthy and whole to create a church that's healthy and whole so you can reach the next generation and that church go higher and further and faster and longer than you could ever take it. So it's not just about getting healthy for the sake of health. There's a bigger 
plan. And that is for us to get healthy so we can connect with the next gen. Uh, and so that is, that will be on my heart till the day I die. And we talk about that a lot in the, in the last section of the book. We talk about living in your sweet spot. Mm. Uh, we talk about uh, handing off our ministry to the next gen. Um, that that's the thing that drives me the most. So if anyone, please, if you, I used to lay in the floor of my office and cry for a friend. Mm. I didn't want to take the weight and heaviness of ministry home to my wife and kids every night. So I internalized a lot of things and I didn't, couldn't talk to my church board. And, and honestly, you couldn't talk to a lot of your friends because they would leak out your stuff so they could get your church. So I, I didn't know where to turn. I don't want a pastor listening. I don't want a leader listening. I don't want a board member listening. Anyone listening to this podcast ever, don't you ever feel like you're alone? Please contact us. I talk with pastors every week and leaders every week from all over America and in other countries and help them. And if I can't help you, I will get you connected. I did that this past week. Uh, I, I didn't have the answer to this past pastor needed. I connected to one of our ministry partners who did have that answer. So, you know, our our prayer, our passion, our hope is that, that you don't do ministry alone and that you understand that uh, you got to get healthy. You, you got to get healthy to, to do what God wants you to do. And so please reach out to us if we can if we can be of any assistance at all. And we'll include all that in the description. Dale, thank you so much for being with us on this week of Hall Talk. It's been a a joy to hear your stories, and it's been full of wisdom. I'm grateful for this time. Well, you're an awesome host. Uh, I I, I could talk to you for hours. I just, I mean, I I feel a kindred spirit with you. And we just want to help churches. That's our biggest thing. We just want to help people get healthy. So anything we can do to help or anything I can do to help you, don't hesitate to reach out because I'd love to. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate it, brother. Yes, sir. Well, that's this week's episode of Hall Talk. I'm your host, Jared Hall. Thank you so much for joining me with this conversation with Dale. I hope the stories have been inspiring, challenging, and will bless you in your own journey. And you can head over to 95network.org to check out more information from the 95 Network. Perhaps this is something that would benefit you and your church. Or head over to Amazon. And just type into the search, Dale Sellers, that's D-A-L-E space S-E-L-L-E-R-S, or type in the title of his book, Stalled, S-T-A-L-L-E-D. Find him there, get a copy now. And I look forward to you joining me next week for our next installment of Messianic Prophecy here on Hall Talk. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Hall Talk. Share your voice by leaving a comment or asking a question. Join the team by hitting like, subscribing, and sharing with others. As always, join us next time for more insights and conversations on Hall Talk.